Well, good morning, Oakwood family. Great day to be in God's house, and for all those joining online, two great services today because both of them had a baptism at the beginning. So praise the Lord for His, yes, praise the Lord for His redemptive work, and I love the way the Oakwood family responds to a baptism with cheers and shouts of praise. I believe that's when the angels in heaven rejoice, when one lost sinner comes home and makes their decision for Jesus Christ, and uh, so we're excited to, to celebrate that and pray that we will always celebrate that as God's church. And I'm just so glad that you're here this morning, whether you're in the room or online, it's just good to see you this morning. We're so glad you're with us. We've been in a series for several weeks called Dangerous Prayers. The first week we started talking about how uh, God's will will be done. We want God's will to be done in our lives, and, and that's a dangerous prayer when you start wanting what God wants for your life more than what you want for your life. And it is very counterintuitive to our sinful nature and the flesh in this world, uh, but it's an awesome and very dangerous prayer to pray. The next week we talked to, about how we need to pray for God to search me. Search me, oh God. Search, search me and find me and show me uh, things in my life. Uh, the next week, uh, last week, uh, Alan Seibel preached and did a great job and he talked about how um, we need to uh, be able to say to each other, pray for me, and how in Christian community, uh, prayers can be prayed for one another. And we need to be on the giving end of that, praying for others, and we need to also be on the receiving end of that. And then today, today we're going to go to the very, very deep end of the pool. Uh, today we're going to be talking about a prayer that is very, very dangerous. Today we're going to be talking about a subject that actually, if you could gain this control of your life, if you could bring this under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, you would be closer to God than at any other time in your life. And some of you, that's why you came this morning. I mean, that, that's why you're, you're here in the room is, 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 yes, yes, I want to be closer to God. Yes, I want an intimate relationship with God. I want to be close to Him. Today's prayer is cleanse me. Cleanse me. Oh God, cleanse me, purify me, take away my sin so that I can be pure in your eyes and pure before you. Our main text this morning is going to be Psalm chapter 51. So if you have your Bible, uh, please turn there, Psalm chapter 51. If you want to follow along with your phone or on your device, you can download the Oakwood app and go to sermon notes and all the notes and all the scriptures will be there for you this morning. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 51, verse 1. Now let me give you the background of this psalm. It's very important that you understand when the writer writes this, what's going on. This was written by David. If you've ever heard of David and Goliath, you know, you've heard of King David. Uh, David wrote this psalm. But the situation with David here wasn't a time of victory. It was a time of defeat, of great defeat in his life because he had chosen to walk away from the Lord. Here's what happened. David was king. And when... When these people go off to war, it said often that kings go off to war, but David had chosen to stay safe and stay home. And he was out on the rooftop of, of uh, his domain there in the city and, and, and a higher roof than everywhere else. And he's looking out over the city. And he looked across the city and he saw a beautiful woman bathing. And he began to have lust for her in his heart and he sent one of his servants to go find her and to bring her to the palace. And they had relations together and he committed adultery. You see, uh, Bathsheba was her name, and, and she was married to uh, a man named Uriah. Uriah was actually serving David in the army. And, and David tried some manipulation, and I'm not going to go into all the details of that, of trying to manipulate them, because they soon found out that Bathsheba was pregnant with David's child. 
But finally, David decided, you know what, Uriah's just got to go. And so he commanded the officers in the army to put him on the front lines and to have everyone else in the army retreat so that Uriah would surely be killed. Uriah lost his life. And so, you know, we got David here. And he's walked with the Lord, and he's had these times of victory, but now he's in this place where sin has come into his life. And, and now he's got, you know, like a murder for hire plot going on. And he's trying to cover up that and hide that sin. And he's got Bathsheba pregnant and he's trying to hurry up and, and cover up that sin. I, I think sometimes David was trying to make himself look good with Bathsheba by taking her into the house. Oh, look at this lady that's pregnant from Uriah and, you know. But that didn't last long. You see, God has a way of finding us out when we choose sin. In 2 Samuel chapter 12. There's a time where a prophet named Nathan comes to confront David because of what he and Bathsheba have done. And it's in this moment that, uh, that Nathan comes to David that there's something that's just realized that causes David to react and to pen the psalm that we're going to read this morning. This is how that exchange went. The prophet Nathan came to David and, and, and said, I want to share a story with you to paint a picture he said there were, there were two men in the same town. One was very wealthy, and he had all kinds of, of sheep and goats and cattle. I mean, he, just, he had all these herds and all of these flocks and all of these animals. He's a very wealthy man. He said, and then there was this one poor man. And in this poor man, all of his family had was this one little ewe lamb. There's just this one little lamb. And this lamb was so precious to that family, they treated it like a family pet. Uh, the, the pet would, the, the, the little lamb would eat off their table with them, would, would be in the house with them, would, would cuddle in their beds. And I was almost like, you know, to maybe like a dog to us today, this, this little lamb. And, and, and so Nathan is painting this picture to David. And he's telling him this, this story. And then he says, and then a stranger came into town, and the rich man wanted to throw him a dinner. And the rich man, remember, he had all these flocks and all of these animals, but what the rich man did is he took the little ewe lamb, the only lamb from the poor man. He took that lamb and had it killed and offered to this person for dinner. At that point, David becomes indignant. The Scripture says that he was angry. I, uh, sometimes when they express anger in Scripture, they would tear their cloaks. I picture David just, he's with anger. And, and, and at the end of, of saying, you know, this is wrong and, 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 and this shouldn't have happened this way, then, then David actually says this. He says, surely this man should die. And Nathan says, you are that man. And then he goes on to say, David, after all God has done for you, after all God has shown you. You have blown it. And David, sometime, maybe a few days later, pens this. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me 
with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore me to the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Wow. Have you ever been there? You've been to the point that you're so deep in your sin that you get to the point that I have to be cleansed this. I can't do this anymore. The hiding, the constant hiding, looking over my shoulder, when am I going to be found out? Found out the constant guilt that is there with me, that, that, that every time I, I, I continue this, this sinful pattern in my life, there's this guilt that comes. And, and when, is my, when is my spouse going to find out? Or when is my boss at work going to find out? And it just seems like that there's, there's this way. God has this way of finding things out. We don't really hide anything from Him. And it seems like when you are choosing a pattern of sinfulness in your life, that it's one of those things that it's just a matter of time before the consequences come. And it's not how we're called to live. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, he, he, didn't, he didn't die so you could just have eternal life with Him. He died to save you from your sins today. That you could, as it says in Romans 6, that you could walk in newness of life. It's what, what the baptism symbolizes so beautifully. Is that you are buried with Christ under the water grave of baptism and you're raised to walk in newness of life. I remember my baptism. I remember feeling so clean. My sins are washed away white as snow and I'm ready to be close to God because God has cleansed me. And I think for all of us, we can relate to the fact that we need a good cleansing. I want to share several thoughts with you today on this prayer when we pray, cleanse me. The first one is this. Why, why pray, cleanse me? It's because sin separates us from God. We need to always remember that. That sin will separate us from God. The Greek word for sin literally means to miss the mark. And, and it gives us this idea of, of almost like archery. If you can picture a target. And, and a target, and, the, and these arrows are going toward the target, and you intend to hit the bullseye. Right? That's what you're aiming for is the bullseye. It's so obvious. But the arrows just seem to go everywhere. We miss the mark. We miss where God wants us to be. We miss holiness. We miss purity. We miss the peace of God in our life. You see, the fact is that sin will always move you in a direction that leads away from God. Hear me. If you don't feel close to God today, if you're seeking to be closer to God today, sin will always, always, always lead you in a direction that moves you away from God. You can't do both. We try to, as Christians sometimes, right? Oh, there's grace to cover that. I feel close to God. No, sin separates us from God. God cannot look upon sin. God detests sin. And so we can't have this close relationship with God and be in this sinful, habitual pattern in our lives. Sin is missing the mark. 
And it puts this chasm between you and God. And Discover Oakwood, and we have Discover Oakwood coming in just a couple weeks. For, for anyone that's new to Oakwood, we ask them to go to Discover Oakwood as a first step into our church. Uh, we have these slides, and we do a gospel presentation there. I want to share just a couple of these with you this morning. It's just a great visual illustration. There's us, and there's God, and there's this relationship. God wants to be with us. But we have this chasm between us because of sinfulness in our life. And then Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes and he dies on the cross of Calvary. And that cross bridges the gap. And then when we choose to accept God's free gift of forgiveness, we cross over from death to life, it says. Hell is taken out of the the equation because we are God's children. We are choosing to walk in the newness of life. We are choosing to accept him as our Lord and Savior. To call him Lord, Master over our life, and to live for him. And it's an amazing thing because it's in that moment God forgives us our sins. And it all begins with a dangerous prayer. Lord, cleanse me. Isn't it interesting the words that David uses in Psalm 51? Let me read them to you. He, in verse 1 he says, to blot out my transgressions. In verse 2, wash away my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. In verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop. Wash me. In verse 9, blot out all of my iniquity. In verse 10, create in me a pure heart. In verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Give me a willing spirit to sustain me to follow you. To not go back into the old sinfulness and the patterns of behavior. Why pray a cleanse me prayer? Because the goal of Satan is to tempt us to lure us away from God. And because sin separates us from God. The second thing this morning is if we truly love God, we will be concerned about sin. If we truly love God, we will be concerned about sin. And yet I see in so many Christians today this lack of concern about sin. But the fact is, we will be concerned about sin because God is concerned about sin because he understands the consequences he understands that it separates us from him we were not created to find our own way in life to seek our own joy to find our happiness whatever fulfills our needs to find relative truth for our lives to find i heard somebody on a tv show this week that this lady was bragging she says i just had to find my truth really it's so relative right your truth not the truth from the word of god The God of the universe, the establisher of right and wrong, the establisher of what is truth. We're not here to find our joy, to to, to define our needs, to to find uh, relative truth, or to discover our joy in life. No, we were created and made by God, for God, to be in a relationship with Him, to bring Him praise, to bring Him glory, and to have this close, worshipful, loving relationship with Him, and to reflect His character in our lives. If you're wondering the big question this morning, why am I here on earth? That's what you were created for. But Satan from the very beginning, even in the Garden of Eden with the first two humans ever created, destroyed that. And God said, you know what? We're going to have to have a sacrifice. We're going to have to have an atonement. Where there is sin, something must die. And eventually that became Jesus Christ, His Son. You see, the fact is, if you want to move forward and and you want to move closer to God in your relationship with Him, you cannot be moving toward God while embracing your sin. You cannot. They cannot coexist. Listen to what it says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. It says, My dear children, 
I write this to you so that you will not sin. Now let's consider when this is in the Bible. This is 1 John near the end of the New Testament. Okay, this is after Jesus has died on the cross. This is after he has resurrected from the dead. After the, the birth of the church in the book of Acts. After most of the New Testament is written, 1 John is written. And here he is telling us not to sin. And some people say, why does that matter? Jesus came. We have forgiveness of sins. It's because sin separates us from God. It pulls us away from God. It takes us away from his plan. It hurts God. Listen to what he says, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice. Some, some scriptures there say that he is the propitiation for our sins, which means he's the substitutionary atonement, which means you deserve death when you sin. And Jesus said, wait, 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 I will sacrifice my life for yours. And because of that, we worship and we love him and we serve him and we follow him and we keep our master's commands. And he says there, we have an advocate, the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus' death on the cross is to cover the sins of the whole world. All we have to do is accept his grace. Make a decision to give our lives to him. It says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. How do you know if you've come to Jesus Christ for real? If you keep his commands. If that begins to matter to you. How do we know we've come to him? If we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him. It reminded me of Elf. I know him. We see Santa Claus, you know. I know him. I know him. You know, this is what it says. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar. So many people do that, right, in Christianity today? Oh, I'm a Christian. Really? I love using the tree illustration. I used it with the worship team earlier. It's like people say, oh, I'm an apple tree. Really? There's oranges over all of your branches. No, I'm an apple tree. But you're producing oranges. I would call you an orange tree because you have oranges on your branches. No, I'm an apple tree. Oh, I'm a Christian, but the fruit produced in your life is sinfulness, and you live your life just like I do. There's nothing different about you. Oh, but I'm a Christian. Saved by the grace of Jesus. I know him, but someone who says I know him, but does not do what his commands are is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. That's why you're called a liar. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. If you obey his word. This is how we know we are in him. How can we know that we are in him? Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. You see, praying cleanse me brings forth the hidden sins. I, I think it brings forth the sins that we're accustomed to. The sins that we have become comfortable with. Those sins that, that we become callous toward. They don't bother us anymore. I mean, when we did it at first, yeah, it really bothered us. But now, now it doesn't bother us at all. It's because you have walked away from the Lord. You cannot be close to God. And continue to live in your sinfulness. Why you pray a cleanse me prayer. We truly love God. We'll be concerned about sin. Third thing this morning. I want you to understand that not sinning isn't about perfection. It's about purity. Not sinning is not about perfection. If it, it's not so you can be like, oh, look at me. I checked this box. My Christianity, look at me. I'm perfect. You know, 
The Bible even says no one is perfect. Only God and His Son are perfect. Only Jesus was perfect. That's why He's the atoning sacrifice. He's the only one that could do it. He's the only one that never sinned and did exactly what the Heavenly Father wanted Him to do. He never had to struggle with sin in His life. And so He made the perfect, unblemished Lamb to be the sacrifice for our sins. But today, it seems like so many people are like, why does purity matter? I mean, why is purity so important? This is why. Purity paves the way to intimacy with God. Purity paves the way to intimacy with God. If you don't feel close to God, it may be because of impurity in your life. Now, this makes sense in so many levels and in so many different relationships. Now, I want you to understand this morning that while our sin does not alter God's love for us, sin does not change the way God feels about us or the way that He loves us, it does impact our intimacy with Him, how close we can walk with Him. Think about it. Relationships are never static. You're never static in your relationship. Even in your marriage, this makes sense, right? That purity paves the way to intimacy. Why? Because there's this exclusivity. It says, I am only for you and you are only for me and we are married people and so because that, of that, that choice of exclusivity, it means no one else but you satisfies my longing in life. And that's what God wants. And if we're impure in our marriage, it costs lots of problems, right? Lots of problems. Divorce and mistrust and, 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 and sinfulness and maybe aggression and fighting. And there's so many things that can come into our marriages because of what? It's because of sin. It's because of a sinful choice. We didn't choose purity in our marriage. And this goes into all different kinds of areas of our life, different relationships and different places that you are involved in your life. What I want you to get this morning is that purity paves the way to intimacy and that's why it matters to us. Purity paves the way to intimacy. Not only with our spouse, but with God Almighty. He wants us to only want him. He wants us to only go after him. What does David cry for in Psalm 51? Look at verse 10. He says, create in me a pure heart, O God. Create in me a pure heart. Why? Because David lost fellowship with God. When he chose that sinful pattern and had Uriah murdered and, and, and now took his wife as his own, committed adultery with her, Nathan rebukes him, points it out. He's so worked up over it. And it's at that moment, it's at that time where he cries out in Psalm 51. And there he says, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit in me, a steadfast spirit, so I won't go back to that old pattern of sin. It's like Paul says in Romans 6, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Should we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to that sinfulness and all the damage that it was doing in our lives and in our relationships. We need to walk in newness of life. Last thing I want you to get this morning. This cleanse me prayer. This prayer provides the opportunity to confess your sins to God and to ask for His forgiveness. It provides you the opportunity to confess your sins to God. That's, that's a pattern you'll find in Scripture, is that we confess our sins to God. When was the last time you had a good confessional with your Savior? 
When was the last time you prayed a prayer of confession to God and you actually owned your stuff? You actually thought, you actually spent time thinking about sins that you commit on your phone, with your language, what you're doing at work, what you're doing in your marriage, like all of those things. Like you, you actually spent time reflecting on your sinfulness and you confess those one by one to God. Some of you have unconfessed sins from 20 years ago and you know what they are? You know you committed adultery. You know, you know you stole money. I mean, you know things, and they haunt you. <laughs> and those sins, what? Separate you from God. Those sins miss the mark of the relationship with Him. And prayer, this prayer, cleanse me, God. Show me these ways in me. Gives us the opportunity to confess your sins to God, to ask for His forgiveness. But I have even better news than that. He doesn't stop there just at forgiveness. Look what it says in 1 John 1.9. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, and notice the if word there, it's a cause and effect. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Why would God do that next step? Why does that even matter? It's because purity paves the way to intimacy with God. And because that matters to God, when we confess our sins to Him, when we own our stuff, and we pray and ask for His forgiveness, He not only forgives us, the Scripture says that He, move, he removes our sin and, and takes it as far as the east is from the west, and He remembers it no more. You can confess and get forgiveness of God. He remembers it no more. But He doesn't stop there. He's going to purify us from all unrighteousness so that we can walk in His ways all the days of our lives. So we not only get forgiveness, we get purification. Why? So we can be close to God again. And if you're filling the void, I would encourage you to think about what are you pursuing in life that may not be of Him? Where are you missing the mark? What sin is Satan constantly tempting you with? Because see, the fact is God loves us so much, Jesus loves us so much that they can't leave us where we're at. They're going to purify us from all unrighteousness. I want to end today with a story. I just want you to hear from the Lord. So uh, just listen to this. One of my favorite stories in Scripture. This is Jesus. You know, as you read the, the New Testament, you're reading Paul, and you're reading you know, uh, Peter, and you're reading John, and you're reading all the epistles, and you, you hear about sin. It's amazing. Jesus has already died, so you think, well, there's forgiveness for that, and why are they concerned? And they keep warning us, do not fall back into sin. Watch out. Be aware. Don't let the sin in your life easily entangle and entrap you. There's all these warnings of Scripture, and you begin to think, but did it matter to Jesus? I mean, we've got four books in here on Jesus Christ. Does it really matter to Him? Listen to this story. At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people had gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, brought in a woman who was caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the, the, in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say, Jesus, Son of God? What do you say? They were using this question to try to trap him in order to have a basis for accusing him of not keeping God's law. But Jesus bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. Interesting response, right? 
And, and, and when they kept on questioning him, I just feel like they're throwing it at him. Come on, Jesus, tell us, what are we supposed to do? I mean, the law says, what are we supposed to do? It says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And then again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. What was he writing? Questions I'm going to ask God when I get to him. What were you writing? Was he writing scripture? Was he writing a prayer for this woman? Was he writing, I love this lady. I love this sinner caught in adultery. I want to forgive her. What was he writing? Again, he stooped down. He wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and he asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So many times I think in Christianity today, we want to end just before that. That who's condemned you? No one, sir, then neither do I condemn you. And Jesus walked on and went about teaching the rest of the people. No, he didn't want to leave her there. He loved her too much. He says, I'm coming not to condemn you. I'm coming to forgive you. I'm coming to give you a second chance at life. And because of that, I'm not going to just stop at neither do I condemn you. I forgive you of your sins. But he ends with this. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see, Jesus loved this woman who was caught in the act of adultery so much that he said, I cannot leave you there. Do not continue in this pattern in your life because it separates you from me. It separates you from the Heavenly Father. Go and leave your life of sin and all the destructive consequences that will follow it and come to me. That's what it was about. Come to me. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden with your sinful choices, and I will give you rest, and I will forgive you, and I will purify you from all unrighteousness. How does it start? It starts with a dangerous prayer. When was the last time you prayed, Lord, cleanse me? Cleanse me. And yet I think it's something as Christians that we need to pray. And even if you haven't accepted Christ this morning, maybe today is the day that you say, Lord, I'm ready to accept you now. Cleanse me. I'm a mess. And guess what, guess what he does? He says, you know what? I forgive you. And I'm going to purify you from all unrighteousness. And just like it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. Easton, that got baptized earlier, is a new creation. He's a new Easton. He's left his life of sin. He says, I'm going God's direction. And that choice, that sacrifice of Jesus is for all of us. We get to respond to the Word of God this morning by taking communion together. And hopefully you got those elements as you came in this morning. And if you didn't, I want you to feel free to slip out and grab those. If you're online with us this morning, hopefully you've prepared to have a cracker and some juice ready. We're going to take communion together. And as we do this this morning, it's real simple. Very simple. I think this is a great time for you to pray the dangerous prayer, cleanse me. Cleanse me, God. 
This is a great moment for you to confess your sins to God. God, I'm sorry for this attitude. God, I'm sorry for my thought life that's not been under, under control lately. God, I'm, I'm sorry for, for cursing your name. I'm sorry for what I've done against my neighbor. I'm sorry for what I did 20 years ago that I've never confessed to you. Man, I'm telling you what, you're going to have a good week when Jesus makes you clean. Best week of your life. But it starts with a prayer. And it starts with humility in your heart. Lord, cleanse me. Purify me from unrighteousness. And so as we get to take communion together, we invite you to do that. You see, it's real simple. Jesus, when he was in the upper room of the disciples, he took these emblems and he said, Take this bread, and every time you take of it, remember my body that is broken for you. He, he took the cup. He said, this, is, this represents my blood now. It's the blood of a new covenant. It's for the forgiveness of sins. The hope of eternal life is in this cup. Do this in remembrance of me. And he said, every time you take these emblems, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. I want to keep my sacrifice front and center or foremost, and I want you to remember the high cost of salvation, the life of the Son of God. And this morning, you have the opportunity to say, yes, Lord, because of that sacrifice, cleanse me. Let's pray. Lord God, we do come before you now. As a church and as individuals, Lord, we come before you and we say, cleanse me, God. Purify us from all unrighteousness. Forgive us of our sins that we can walk with you. God, we do understand that purity paves the way to intimacy. We understand that we need to exclusively be focused on you. God, that you need to be first and most and highest and best in our life. And that when sin is competition to you, Lord, that it just, it just makes us move away from you. There's no way we can get as close as we desire to be deep down inside. And so this morning, God, we come before you now. And as we take this, this bread that represents your body and this cup that represents your blood, we cry out to you and we say, cleanse me, God. Cleanse me. Purify me. Show me what needs to be thrown out of my life so that I can walk in your ways and have abundantly close fellowship with you. God, may we use this, these, these next few moments to just confess our sins. And God, would you just wipe out our iniquities? Do all the things that David prayed for in Psalm 51. Cleanse us, blot out our iniquity. Renew a steadfast spirit within us so that we can walk in your ways. But it all begins with this prayer. Lord, cleanse me. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.